0: This sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 1030 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. continuing our series in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 1, going through verse 13. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the cord outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for 42 months." And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days wearing sackcloth. There are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire pours out from their mouths and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. When they have finished up their testimony, the beast that comes from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie on the street in the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, members of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment of the inhabitants of the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and those who saw them were terrified. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! And they went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies watched them. At that moment, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes some people represent something to others. If you call someone a real Einstein, it means that they're smart, right? If you, call, if you say, oh man, Ruth Stout, she's a regular Celine Dion. That means that she can sing real well. If you say, that guy over there is a real Troy Alford, well, that probably means he's handsome. <laughs> right? And good looking. Yeah. If you Sometimes people come to embody these ideals for other folks. And so... I think that when we read this passage, we are meant to think about Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament. And I think that because they talk about these two witnesses. And the things that they do is that they, they turn the water into blood, which is what Moses did in one of the ten plagues. And they also are able to stop the rain from coming, which is what Elijah did when he was a prophet. And so I think we're naturally supposed to think about Moses and Elijah during this. And so what I think that, that John is saying is that these two witnesses are real Moseses and Elijahs. I don't think they're literally supposed to be reincarnations of Moses and Elijah. First of all, because I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't think that's a Christian thing to believe in. And secondly, we've got to remember that this is a vision that John is having of this invisible spiritual reality that's all around him. This is a symbolic dream revealing these invisible truths of God. So John, through this vision, is saying that these two witnesses that he's seeing are real Elijah's and real Moses's. So what does that mean? What does that mean about these two witnesses? First of all, Moses was a prophet of God who stood up to Pharaoh, who told the truth about the people of God to Pharaoh, that God did not want his people to be enslaved in Egypt, that God desired his people to be free. And no matter what kind of worldly power Pharaoh could throw at Moses, Moses was going to stand up and preach the word of God and lead his people to freedom. That's what Moses was known for. Then Elijah was known for standing up to Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel weren't outside kings. They were, Ahab was the king of Israel, but he was leading his people in the wrong way. He was leading them down the wrong path. He sold out to the pagan gods. And so Elijah boldly stood up and said, you are taking the Israelites down the wrong path. You need to repent and worship the one true God. And then when Ahab wouldn't do that, remember that great scene where Elijah stood up and taunted the false prophets that, because they couldn't call down this fire from heaven. And then Elijah did it easy as that because he, the one true God was on his side. So you have Moses who's standing up to a pagan king and Elijah who's standing up to an Israelite king but who has sold out to pagan gods. And they're both boldly proclaiming God's truth to power about how God wants his people to be free and how God wants his people to be faithful. So I I don't believe that that this passage is as much about two individuals that are going to come in the distant future and shoot fire out of their mouths. I think that they stand for something. He says that they are like the olive trees and the lampstands. In other places in Revelations, olive trees and lampstands represent the church. I believe that these two witnesses that we read about in Revelation refer to the witness witness ...of the church against fallen Babylon. That God is calling the church to be Elijah's. That God is calling the church to be Moses's in our day. Just like these two witnesses are. So let's look at what happens to them. First of all, they witness boldly. They, told, they tell the truth of, about fallen Babylon to anyone who will listen in the city. It says that they have fire coming out of their mouths that devours anybody who comes against them. I think that's especially appropriate at Pentecost when we remember the tongues of fire from the Holy Spirit that descended upon the church. Those tongues descended upon the early church, and the, the fire is coming out of the mouths of the witnesses. It's, it's the truth of God. It's the prophecy. It's, it's the word of from the Holy Spirit that is inspiring these people to, to say the word of God out of their mouths, the fiery truth of God, boldly witnessed. And then they die for three days at the hands of the beast, and their bodies are disrespected. But then they get resurrected and vindicated by Jesus. This is the witness of the church throughout the ages, that that God has sent his Holy Spirit to empower his people, to tell the truth, to witness boldly, to stand up, whether it's standing up to to foreign, outside pagan influences that want to, to make the church less free or whether it's standing up to people within the church who are leading down the wrong path, God has empowered us and emboldened us to be witnesses with his Holy Spirit. So that's what he's called us to do. I believe that these are not people that we should look look outside to. These are people that we are supposed to be. These are people that we are supposed to embody, traits that we are supposed to have as God's church in, in this age. So how can we be a faithful witness? How can we be the kinds of witnesses that that have fire coming out of our mouths that stand up for God? First, I think we're supposed to witness boldly to God's truth, like they did. Now, I think part of the thing that gets us in the way of, of being witnesses for God is that we get the wrong idea of what a witness is we get scared about witnessing because what if someone asks a question that we don't know? What if we start to boldly witness for God's truth and then someone stumps us? I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. I can't answer every question that someone has. What if someone asks me a question that I can't answer? Might as well just not go for it. But the thing is, God has called us to be his witnesses. He hasn't called us to be his lawyers, right? God, in in the courtroom, when they call up a witness, what do they do? The witness tells what they know. They don't tell what they don't know. They they, They share what they know. It's the lawyer's job to make the argument and to win the case. God, I'm not supposed to win any cases. I'm not responsible for saving other people. What I'm responsible for is sharing what I know To a world that needs to hear it. And that frees us up so much. I don't have to be God's lawyers. I don't have to answer every question. I don't have to win an argument with anybody. All I have to do is be a witness to share what I know about Jesus, about salvation to the world. That's what being a witness is. God's called us to be faithful witnesses, not lawyers on his behalf. So you don't have to know everything, you don't have to answer every question, you don't have to to be an expert in the faith in order to be a faithful witness. All you have to do is have an experience with God and be willing to talk about it. The second thing that they have, we talked about this a little bit, is that they they have tongues of fire, these witnesses do. And, And God gave us on Pentecost the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember what, what Peter said. We read it a little bit earlier that God has empowered his young men to prophesy and his old men to dream dreams. And all the people of God have a, have a job to do that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think there's a correlation between the tongues at Pentecost and the fire that comes out of the mouths of these witnesses. It's the word of their testimony that puts their enemies to shame that burns up the people that are trying to to hurt them because they cannot touch people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power that we need to be faithful witnesses. You know, I think the the Spirit empowers us with what is needed. So in the early church, man, that gift of tongues was needed because they had a language barrier to overcome. In our church there's not as much of a language barrier but I think there's a courage barrier. We just don't have the courage to be faithful witnesses. The Holy Spirit can empower us with that. It's it's the spirit will give us what we need in order to become a faithful witness. If that's the gift of healing, maybe he'll give you the gift of healing. If it's the gift of tongues, I'm not saying it can't happen. But so often the 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 thing the barrier that we have to being a faithful witness is we just don't have the courage. And I think that's the gift that the Spirit wants to give the church in our day. The next thing we have to do to know, to be a, to be a faithful witness, is to understand that fallen Babylon hates it when people boldly witness to the truth of God. They hate it. Remember, last week we talked about the beasts and what the beast represents. The beast represents that worship of carnal, earthly power instead of the resurrection power of Jesus. And that beast, in this passage, does his best to shut the faithful witnesses up. It kills them for three days in, in a revelation. And the beast is always doing his best To shut the people of God up who are faithful witnesses. And it's happened throughout history. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was put in jail. He was beat. He was shipwrecked. The powers of Rome and the powers of of the Jewish establishment both hated what he had to say. And so they both tried to shut him up, but they just couldn't do it. I mean, sure, they could throw him in jail for a time, but they couldn't stop his letters. They couldn't stop his followers. They could not stop the witness of the Apostle Paul. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up to the the regime of Nazi Germany and proclaimed the truth that God loved the Jewish people and did not want them to die. They did not want them to be second-class citizens. He spoke this prophetic word against the Nazi army. He spoke it against the German church too. Because they collaborated with the Nazis. And fallen Babylon hated it. And they killed him for it. But his word preserves. His writings are more popular now than they ever have been. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Who testified to the truth... That God loves everybody. That black people are not second-class citizens in the kingdom and shouldn't be in America either. And guess what? Fallen Babylon hated it and they killed him for it. I Think about Archbishop Oscar Romero who lived in San Salvador and spoke out against the corrupt government there and also spoke up against the violent revolutionaries there and spoke on behalf of the poor and, and proclaimed God's truth that God loves the poor and that God loves both the revolutionaries and the government and refused to let the church be co-opted by either one of those parties and a, into a propaganda arm. And guess what? They killed him for it. But his testimony and his life and his writings have preserved When we stand up to be faithful witnesses and boldly testify to the love of God for all people, fallen Babylon hates it, and they'll do their darndest to shut us up. The thing about it is the witnesses in Revelation, they were vindicated by God. The beast killed them in the vision, but three days later, guess what? God rose them back up, and God brought them to heaven, and God gave them a reward, and their enemies watched them, and there was not a thing the enemies could do about it. God has our backs. And when we are faithful witnesses to the that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to the truth of God, God will vindicate us even if the whole world is against us, even if the church turns against us, God will vindicate us as long as we are operating out of the power of the Holy Spirit. So my question this week is, how will you be a bold witness for Christ this week? Make a plan. Plan. How are you going to do it? Who are you going to proclaim God's love for this week? Who are you going to tick off by doing it? How are you going to rely on the Holy Spirit this week to go beyond your normal capacity, beyond what you think you can accomplish, to do what only the Spirit can do through you? How are you going to be a bold witness for Christ this week? Because he sent the Holy Spirit to empower you to do exactly that. We read in the scripture the tongues of fire and acts at the early church. We flip to the end of the book and we read about fire in the mouths of the witnesses. And we know that God has called his church to be bold witnesses of his love for all people. So let's make a plan to witness boldly this week. Let's be real Elijah's, real Moses's in our day. And then today, as we take communion to receive the body and the blood, I want you to offer a prayer at the altar that God will inspire you and empower you to be a faithful, bold witness for him this week. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, We read about these witnesses, about these tongues of fire. And God, the beast throws everything he can at them, but he cannot hold them down for good. And so we know, Father, as we look to the examples of heroic Christians in history, as we look to the examples of heroic believers in scripture, that you're calling us to do the same thing. You're calling us to be faithful witnesses. You're calling us to testify boldly to the truth that we know, that we've experienced, that your love is for all people. And you are calling us to be faithful followers. God, give us your grace today. Help us to be faithful, bold witnesses. In your name I pray, amen.